About this film, Andrew Saris of the Village Voice says pure popcorn like this is hardly worthy of serious analysis. Fortunately, the stars have not lost their charm and authority. In the New York Times, Vincent Canby wrote that the film is so good-natured, so obviously aware of everything it's up to, even its own picturesque frauds, that I opt to go along with it. And Letterboxd user Meg Bichel calls it 1930s Uncut Gems. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of The Sting. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhood Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. Welcome to Ruined Childhoods. I am one half of your hosting team. My name is Dan. Uh, the other half uh, over there is John. <laughs> Say hey, hi, John. Dan. Hey, hi, Dan. How you doing? You know, all things considered, John, I, I'd have to say I'm doing pretty well. Okay, okay. so here, okay, here's how I'm going to get into this. So uh, if you are a subscriber to the podcast, you'll notice that uh, the last episode, The Candidate, and this episode, The Sting, are coming out back to back. Like, not just one sequentially after the other, but like, very one The Sting very soon after The Candidate. And that's because we've had some setbacks uh, due to the Pacific Northwest weather. I mean, the entire United States weather has been uh, an absolute mess this past week. But uh, in the Pacific Northwest, we faced very high winds and some ice and all sorts of craziness. And um, there was certainly a lot of uh, property damage related to a number of those things. And and Dan, unfortunately, uh, faced a... uh, a, a pipe bursting issue. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, not cool. Is... So ruined childhood studio, uh, Seattle is out of commission for a bit. <laughs> oh, it's sad. It's sad, but it, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, not long into the new year, it will be back up and running better than ever. Let's hope so. But I'm still here. Still yeah. here. Excited yeah. to talk about movies because all I've been talking about is insurance and claims and drywall and mold and all of and then every all everything else on the to do list. So I'm really excited to just bullshit about the sting and whatever else happens to come up. So well, well, Dan, you know, uh, you said that you've been talking about claims. I have a claim for you. Oh. Um, 2022's The Whale is the saddest movie you'll ever see, and also it is fantastic. That is a claim that I have for you. Two things that I I would not imagine things being any different. <laughs> okay, okay. You're not surprised. <laughs> All I needed to see was that first shot they released of Brendan Fraser, and I'm like... This is going, and I was basically thought to myself, I'm like, this is going to be the saddest movie ever, and it's also going to be really good, because, uh, not that this is what he does every time out, but Darren Aronofsky is really good at that. Um, I think of The Wrestler. (laughs) Oh, well, The Wrestler, for sure. Yeah, and that was was very sad, but I feel like uh, this one... uh, 
And and you know what? I should watch The Wrestler again. It's been a while since I've seen that one. But uh, for this, I think that just the way that he, that Brendan Fraser portrays this character and the reasons why he is going through his hardships and the things that lead up to the, you know, this, the events of this film and its ending, uh, just really, uh, really well done. And, uh, I, um, it was the saddest I've ever been in a movie theater. And it was one of those sadnesses that, uh, transcends tears. It's just like, oh my God, Where I you're just, feel your, your jaws dropped. <laughs> Your, your Absolutely. Jaw, like, gut punch. Okay. Absolutely. So I'm curious. So what was the previous, like you say that, and for me, I think of, among a few other movies, I think of Boys Don't Cry. Okay. And par- yeah. partially because recently I was compiling a list of my top 10 of 1999, and I'm like, you know what? I've seen Boys Don't Cry twice, but that movie is just like a gut punch. And you, I just, I went to see it by myself and I remember just walking out and just processing and and like that that movie really rocked me. So I guess what are some other movies that have left you after theatrical experience just kind of like, you know, gobsmacked, I guess, emotionally? Yeah. So I think that I get that um, that feeling in a in a less to a lesser degree uh, than The Whale, but certainly get it from. A lot of the like docudramas that are about, you know, huge true injustices. Uh, thinking specifically about things like Spotlight. And I had a similar experience after watching She Said recently, the one that's oh. about the Harvey Weinstein uh, New York Times article. And, f- you know, a lot of those types of films, I mean, those are two that happen to take place in uh, newsrooms, but uh, a lot of those really hit me pretty hard. Uh, I had a similar thing with, like, Dark Water a couple years ago. Oh, um, yeah. If, if yeah. I can add one, actually, to that to that list and something that yeah. I just finished watching recently, as in within the last 24 hours, and uh, had I seen it as a whole experience in the theater – would have definitely just been left gobsmacked. And that is the HBO miniseries Chernobyl with, uh, right. you know, just, I mean, like uh, uh, fabulous actors, uh, you know, the, the cast is kind of led by Jared Harris. Uh, yeah. Just amazing. And Emily Watson, who's always amazing. And uh, Stellan Skarsgård, who yeah. is always amazing. So, um, but it's, it's, it's a tremendous feat of both story of storytelling, um, is the HBO, um, Chernobyl. Yeah. I, you know, I think that a lot of those real life, uh, you know, dramas, um, that are, that are taken from real life. And I don't know if I would necessarily say this about like a true crime, docudrama where they're you know but uh certainly crimes are committed but uh i i think that when i think true crime i think mostly like murders and things like that but you know these are much larger true crimes where it is you know the entire boston catholic church and well yeah it's conspiracies uh, (laughs) and conspiracies to to conceal crimes and 
<laughs> yeah. Of so those are the those are the ones, and I, I mean, when things are when crimes are committed on such a large scale, uh, that impact so many people personally, um, not necessarily, uh, you know, related to deaths, but you know, certainly, uh, you know, just complete injustices that that ruin people's lives. I, yeah. that to me is like where it's it hits really, really hard. And uh that's a kind of that's a kind of sad where, you know, you you watch a movie like that and you learn something about something that's really gone on or is going on and you're just like, oh, I feel bad. Well, because in these you're you're talking about movies in which the victims are people who yeah. were either deceived, who were in some way, shape, or form deceived, um, misled, um, you know, tempted anyway, but, you know, kind of they did nothing wrong and are taken yeah. advantage of. And, and because of what happens, whatever it is, whether it's uh, the abuse, uh, you know, covered in spotlight or yeah. the, you know, um, nuclear contamination of Chernobyl, people who are just like, you know, kind of doing their best and are living, you know, innocent lives, they, their lives are forever altered based on a choice that they did not make. It was a choice made for yes. them by people who do not suffer the consequences, which is a huge, huge, huge theme in Chernobyl. Uh, I mean, which should not be su surprising. But Dan... That's that's the magic of uh, of cinema, and I and I classify Chernobyl as as cinema. It is certainly cinematic storytelling. Well, it's definitely not TV; it's HBO. The, yes, that is. Um, true. I I I also I had a question for you. Speaking, what of even cinema, is TV anymore? <laughs> no, I don't. Actually, you know what? I mean, I would say TV is. I mean, right now it's like it's. There's a very interesting, like you know, influence where TV has has become you know, the great storyteller and, you know, in the body of these miniseries, like, you know, you, you don't have to go and watch, you know, six hours of Chernobyl, <laughs> watch it yeah. in, in doses. Um, anyway, speaking of, though of cinema, John, uh, you know, the variety hundred greatest movies of all time list, of course, you know, all these things are subjective. Yeah. Uh, but that came out and, uh, you know, I, I know that there had, been, you know, has been chatter about it and oh, how many have you seen? I think especially coming on the heels of the sound and vision list, uh, you know, right. which which kind of I don't know. I think a lot of a lot of people who know more than I do uh, felt that that was kind of chasing obscurity, uh, trying to like spotlight, you know, more, uh, you know, obscure spotlight. films. Uh, well, yeah, I don't know spotlight? that spotlight it's. Well, and you know what, John? Here's a question. Spotlight was not on Variety's 100 Greatest Movies of All Time, um, along with many other movies. Uh, it, have, did you have you had a chance to peruse? <laughs> no, the list? I haven't seen it. No. Oh, wow. OK, so I mean, I'm not going to read off the whole list, of course, Thank you. Um, but there are definitely some choices, both inclusions and exclusions that are surprising. There are some that are pleasantly surprising. There are some that it's like, man. I'm like, I love that movie, but does it like? There's one movie where it's like one of it the plays 100 greatest. 
What's I mean, like 100 yeah. great. And it's like, you know, in, not just American films, not just studio films, yeah. uh, 100 greatest movies of all time. And like there's one that is very high ranking. We're talking top 10, which is definitely one of my top 10. But I'm like, is that really in the top 10 of 100 greatest movies? Like I buy that it's in the 100 greatest. Are you going to say what it is? Oh, well, I don't know. I didn't. I, <laughs> Please I was say doing, what it is. Okay, it's Pulp Fiction. So Pulp okay. Fiction, Pulp Fiction comes in at number five, which. Okay. So to that, I would say, and I'm sure that they go into, you know, some, some more about it, but uh, it's definitely a movie that stayed in the conversation. Uh, it's the, well, I, I mean, Reservoir Dogs was certainly uh, a breakout. It was a directorial you know, breakout, but Pulp right. Fiction definitely like pumped him up even further on the directing food chain. And, uh, it, you know, it, it plays I changed with movies. I mean, it, it, it really did impact like well, the entire. Yeah. And, and the, in the, yeah, the independent movie scene for sure. And I feel like it certainly deserves to be mentioned, not necessarily, if it's like one of it's not like it's a cinematic masterpiece, but because of the cultural conversation and because of the way that it did impact the way that movies were made, I think that it certainly uh, should be part of the discussion. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I would put it top. I mean, you know, 100 greatest movies of all time in a in a less subjective list would definitely expect to see it on the list, if not in the top 50. Uh, but to see it at number five was yeah. surprising as surprising as it was to see, um, my best friend's wedding on the list. Really? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and of course, like there are explanations and there's different critics, uh, you know, different journalists who, who write their, you know, their takes on, on these but um yeah in fact like my best friend's wedding there's some interesting ones there's some ones that i'm like oh my god that's so awesome it's on there like waiting for guffman is yeah. on there i fucking love waiting for guffman and that's awesome but like there's other there's other choices i guess in terms of like filmmaker representation and yeah. like I think for Oliver, I want to say like Natural Born Killers. Is Natural Born Killers the only Walt Oliver Stone movie on this list? It might be. Um, really? Which I'm a fan of that movie, but. That's I a big swing. I wouldn't put th like e even of Oliver Stone's movies. If I'm like, how am I going to represent Oliver Stone on this list? It for me would either be Born on the Fourth of July or JFK. I would say JFK. I feel like JFK, JFK. has. Yeah, it stayed more in the in the cultural conversation than Born on the Fourth of July has. It Even kind of defined him. I mean, you know, yeah, for sure. Point of reference, Dave. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but yeah, so there's some there's some really interesting. Like Scorsese is on here a couple of times. I um, but I think it's like Mean Streets and Goodfellas. Which I, Mean yes. Streets isn't interesting if there's only going to be two to have Mean Streets as one of them and not something like Taxi Driver. Well, yeah. and to have it be Mean Streets and Goodfellas, which is kind of I feel like Mean Streets was like Scorsese revving up towards Goodfellas. Like they're kind of yeah. it's kind of like the same. Like, I mean, I, I don't love Raging Bull like some people, but Raging Bull Taxi Driver as as you said, um, yeah. you know, is is a great is a great move. But like, I don't think like I don't think the Departed is on this list. 
Um, the Departed. Spotlight. And then there's other there's other movies that I feel like they're on this list and they're where they should be. Uh, movies like Silence of the Lambs, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Fargo, The Apartment. Um, you know, Blue... what, as soon as you mentioned this list, the one movie I thought of was like, Fargo better be on there. So Fargo good. is on here. Um, you know, uh, some movies that rank uh, pretty highly that you're like, oh, okay. Um, so, and this, actually, this is one where I thought, you know, I've never seen this ranking on any of these lists, and I so agree with it, is at number two, The Wizard of Oz. Okay. I'm always like, the top three you always see are like, Godfather, Citizen Kane, and like, I don't know, what's your, your, but you know. But to that, but to, to go with what we've been saying here is that The Wizard of Oz is a movie that has stayed relevant in the cultural conversation since what 32 when did that come out 39 39 it's 1939 that's been a movie that people still continue to watch to this day no matter how old they're quoting it people quote people it's one of the movies anymore which is which is why i look at it and i and i'm like if not number one which number one on the list is psycho Really? Yeah. Really. Okay. So, I, I mean... I mean, Gus was... Van Sant's a great director. I mean, everybody <laughs> loves Vince Vaughn. I mean, Haitian you know, there? I don't know if this was like an Anne Hage in memoriam kind of like, <laughs> uh, let's yeah. throw a bone her way. Um, you know, William H. Macy needs another one on the Right, list. right. Um, yeah. so I'm like going Psycho, through... Psycho, I, I mean, the, the funny thing about Psycho is that it's remembered for, I don't know, maybe a collective 20 minutes of the actual movie. And then like the rest of it, it's just like, you don't think about those parts. And uh, I think that if it was a, you know, best movie moments, then maybe I would see Psycho in there. But I, or like. The craftsmanship uh, of Psycho, I get it. It's kind of like the craftsmanship. If you are a craftsman, you are looking, a craftsperson, uh, you are looking at Psycho, and you're saying, damn, that is how it is done at its best. I'm sure. Yeah, but I think that as far as Hitchcock goes, uh, I wouldn't even say that that's his best. Um, no. Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, you know me, I'm a North by Northwest fan. I, I was going to say North by Northwest is fantastic. Uh, clearly, he has a lot of amazing ones. I would even put the birds higher up than uh than psycho oh um, yeah no I, you lost me there um i mean rope <laughs> I, I would put honestly i i, I, I didn't say rope. it was my favorite i'm yeah, just no. saying that i would put it up higher than psycho i mean rope is fantastic um uh-huh. oh what's the one with uh with jimmy stort and doris day the one where she sings que sera, sera um whatever that one is that one is 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 great i wish i could i, I keep wanting to say the man who knew too much but i don't think oh. that's what it is um anyway uh, so it's worth it's yeah. worth looking at it, uh, is anything that you're curious about like oh did this make the list not no? particularly because i don't think that this is a list I, I i have a lot of problems with these lists because oh, yeah you know even if they're compiled by critics and experts there there's so much that is always going to be a little subjective and oh. yeah <laughs> Very. and and also, it's kind of like, hey, you like what you like. And and for some people, th- these 100 movies may not even appear on their radar. 
Like they might be so far off from what they're, what people are interested in and what really speaks to people. I think right. that there's, you know, the ones that we talked about that, you know, changed the way that movies are made or the way that we, or ones that have stayed in the conversation for such a long time. Uh, maybe the conversation is on there, but uh, ones that have stayed in the conversation could potentially be, you know, worthy of saying, you know, this is the greatest. I think that there's also, uh, what what exactly, how do they frame the list? Is it the best movies? Is it the greatest movies? No, the, is the greatest. And and the, by the way. The like, greatest. Because I think that the, the word choice is important. Oh, because, yeah. 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 I, I think that the way that you define these words, I think that if the word best is in there, then that's really going to create some problems. Greatest, even though it can mean the same thing as best, can also be up to some interpretation because great can also mean uh, intensity. It can also mean size. So in that way, Titanic and Avatar are the greatest in sense of uh, mass. Uh, Yeah, Avatar, not on the list. Titanic, (laughs) I believe it is. But actually what's interesting is what I'm looking at right now, and I'm looking at kind of like a a side piece that is is basically like a checklist. Oh, right, he's got a side piece. Yeah, you know, hey, it's a little, you know, I'm reading that article, but mm, I'm seeing this article too. Um, But in the text of the art, in the title, they refer to it as greatest movies. In the text of the article, they talk about it as their list of the 100 best movies. So they say best. Okay. So, see, that's kind of where the list says 100 greatest movies. So it's like, ow, damn it. I I banged my funny bone. Ooh. Ooh. And no, it is not that funny. Uh, I was hoping that we were going to be doing a comedy so that I could say, speaking of hitting the funny bones, but uh, (laughs) the sting, the sting has some comedic moments. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So it's, we're we're always looking for those segues to get in there, but. uh, Yeah, I don't know. Well, no, here. So anyway, if, if you're. Well, I'm curious, is the sting on the list? No, the sting is not on the list. And I got to tell you, that stings. Uh, it is More than a, hitting your funny bone? Nor is there any movie starring Sting. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say Robert Redford. Either either the, the singer or the wrestler Sting. Um, oh no, God. actually, is there anything with Robert Redford on here? All the President's Men? I don't think Legal so. Anyway, Eagles? we should... Let's, let's continue, but I am going Sneakers? to... I will like as you as you. What about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? I don't. I don't think so. Wow. Um, Okay. Don't think so. All right. You you take a you take a glance. Do a little uh, Command F. uh, See if there's anything that comes up. And I'm going to uh, synopsize the movie The Sting. Johnny Hooker is a young grifter living in 1930s Illinois, working under the tutelage of veteran con artist Luther Coleman. After Luther announces his retirement to Johnny, he advises that he seeks out Chicago flim-flammer Henry Gondorf, Henry Gondorf, which I always thought that he was saying Condor until I actually looked it up and saw Gondorf, to learn how to up his con game. He also has another motive, revenge. Shortly after Luther's announcement, he was killed by associates of Doyle Lonigan, a crime boss from New York. Johnny and Henry team up and gather a group of swindlers to perform a long con on Lonigan, which begins with a high-stakes game of cards on a train and ends with a large-sum bet on the ponies at a fully organized underground operation. It's hard to say who is conning whom, who is on which side, and who is being double-crossed. 
it's there, there's so much more that you can say about this movie really going in the ins and outs of it but there's it, it can get way too in the weeds but uh i'm gonna uh quickly just give a little bit of the the cast here because it's a really stacked cast oh yeah uh, paul newman is gondorf robert redford is johnny hooker uh robert shaw is uh doyle lonigan and for me I'm so I've seen Jaws so many times that seeing Robert Shaw like in a suit was really jarring. Uh, Robert Earl Jones, father of James Earl Jones, is Luther Coleman. Um, and we have a lot of really awesome uh, people in here who you've seen. You've definitely seen other things. You know, Eileen Brennan uh, is in there. Uh, you would probably remember her best from Clue. I'm speaking to the audience, not so much to you, Dan. Uh, and then or Roy Walston. Private Benjamin, there you go. Uh, Roy Walston is is in there. Ray Walston. Ray Walston. Sorry, I. My brain, my brain. Um, and somebody who we've talked about a bunch on this podcast, uh-huh. uh, Jack Kehoe is in there. Yeah, Jack Kehoe, who you'd remember from the paper, and I was really pleased to see him. I was like, Wait, the Jack hair Kehoe was just something Kehoe. about his hair that gives it away. What's that? From the paper, I know he's like he's definitely like Midnight Run is what I think of with Jack. Okay, Kino. he is in the paper. He is the guy who uh, wants the new chair. Oh my yeah. god! Yes, he doesn't look. He looks. I know he usually looks disheveled. But right, exactly. He looks so even anyway, more disheveled than that. Oh my goodness, you're right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So it's it's a it's a great cast. Um, Ray Walston, people would know as Mister Hand in Fast Times. And uh, if you're a Ski Patrol fan, you know, Pops and Ski Patrol. Pops and Ski um, Patrol, of course. Um, and, but we'll and get also, to that when we do our ski movies. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, so also speaking of people who you'd recognize uh, in there as as Kid Twist is Harold Gould, who you'd recognize right. as Miles from the Golden Girls, which is great because right. we just had a, a Herbert Edelman in um, yes. Barefoot in the Park. So I love yeah. that we're getting all of the, uh, you know, significant the Golden Girls, significant yeah. others of the of the Golden Girls. <laughs> Wow, a theme we didn't know we were doing. A theme underneath <laughs> a theme that just kind of started and has gone yeah. on. So, right, and so uh, we're we're covering this thing not only because it's you know a it it has its place in cinema history, but uh, this is the the final film in a series that we're doing, just kind of about uh, you know honoring Robert Redford. Uh, you know, we've covered some films he's directed and and then we have a bunch that he's acted in and this is i think the first time that we're doing something like that where we're getting i don't think i don't know if they were exactly back to back but the candidate came out like right before the sting like yeah very shortly before so it's interesting to think about robert redford as an actor going from role to role and going from you know it's like he had done Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid a few years earlier, and so then now he's teaming back up with the same guys again, George George Roy Hill and uh, Paul Newman, and mm-hmm. um, you know coming from a film that's a contemporary piece, at least for the time it was made, The Candidate, uh, to something that takes place several decades earlier, uh, he's still the like you know charming, confident Robert Redford. That we all know, but, you know, adapting into a, uh, you know, 1930s Chicago grifter. 
Well, and he's what I I think what I've just enjoyed in general about the Robert Redford retrospective here is that the retrospective our our Redford perspective um, that our that the films have been uh, you know like there's been a variety in them and uh, you know we've we've gone from things like quiz show to do a barefoot in the park and you know sneakers, sneakers. Uh, <laughs> i i love so the barefoot to sneakers that was bare, a happy we've gone accident. from barefoot to sneakers and uh you know butch cassidy and they're also different and you think about i think with with the sting you think you really think about sundance kid and i feel like in the sting he's much more uh, he feels younger in the sting. He feels much more. It's true. Like, yeah. He's more hot headed and um, like he's on edge where, I mean, in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid, he's definitely the one who's more on his guard. He's the quiet one. Also, it's like the fact that he's so dirty in that one gives <laughs> like ages him a little bit <laughs> and he's just more gruff. He's got that mustache too. Yeah. And in this, yeah, he does have a very youthful energy. And because he is, he's the, you know, he's the protege of of these, you know, seasoned con artists. And so in, in Butch Cassidy, he's way more established. Right. Yeah. Something that I had read was that the role was actually originally written to be played by a black actor. Really? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, so. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh no no you were, you were you were saying oh no and that Gondorf was originally supposed to be I you know I we talked a little bit uh, earlier really not not that much um, just to both say that we hadn't seen it but about the Sting too it right. sounds like the the original character description in the David S Ward script was more of a Jackie Gleason type oh yeah than a Paul Newman type but then Paul Newman when he saw this you know he really wanted to do it and. <laughs> Oh, you know, okay. it, it, it's funny because also something else that I, I had been reading about it, uh, it was that uh, David S. Ward, who, by the way, uh, people might know as the writer and director of Major League. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, he, he wanted was originally going to direct it, but he didn't think it was going to attract like a lot of talent. And uh, I think it was Redford who was like, yeah, um, we can't really have a first time director doing this. And and he was like, yeah, you know what? I think he's right. Wow. OK. So it's like, know, oh, yeah, shit, yeah. there's some famous people who want to get involved in this. Yeah, no kidding. You know, it's funny thinking about um, Jackie Gleason being in The Sting 2, who, of course, was with uh, Paul Newman in uh, – and the hustler, the hustler, yeah, and yeah, and I don't know. It's kind of like they're just like dancing around each other a little bit. I feel like there's there's something about their characters from the hustler, like creeping into their their real lives and and having this battle, this back and forth with the sting. Well, That's plus completely the whole thing where my, Paul Newman, in my imagination, where Paul Newman was originally cast as Norton on the Honeymooners. Are you? That is not true. Me? That is fake news. Okay. <laughs> uh, Snopes would call that a lie. Because it is. Yeah. To the moon. Anywhere. <laughs> anywhere you want to send me. 
Paul Newman. I don't. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Anyway, by the way, I've I've perused the list a, a few times over. Uh, Robert Redford is not represented on here. Wow. Nor do there's I no representation. There is no for this has no border, at least not a Fort Red one. No Fort uh, Red And I don't think Newman is on here either. Really? Yeah. I'm 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 like I'm Incredible. I'm looking through. I'm looking the, through between the two of them, the films that they have made. Just that's extraordinary. I, I like mean, no cool hand Luke. Come I was on. gonna say no cool hand Luke. Hide. Yeah. Come on, no, Strange. but like, like my best my best friend's wedding. Anyway, that that's why they make these lists. They want people to talk about them and to get upset and say, yeah, no, but why not? Why this? Why not that? Yeah. Anyway, uh, so getting back to the sting, <laughs> uh, John, do you remember the first time you saw the sting? Yeah, it was the other day. I yeah, oh, yes, I know you just first... you just you just jolted back in your seat. So I uh, this is a movie that I have always been aware of. I want to say that I first became aware of it as a child because I, I don't know if you took them, but our brother Scott and I took piano lessons. uh, And uh, I remember Scott was learning how to play the entertainer. And I remember the cover of the sheet music saying that it's like, from the motion picture, The Sting, or something like that. Like, there was definitely a... Like, I I knew as a child that the song The Entertainer was associated with the movie The Sting. You knew that it was composed by Scott Joplin, arranged by Marvin Hamlish. Arranged by Marvin Hamlish. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I'm sure you are not alone. Hey, if you are listening and if that is how you too first became aware of the movie The Sting, email us ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Put make that that subject line like I don't whatever you want. Whatever you want. <laughs> whatever you want. Uh, I really, I don't yeah. Care. So uh yeah, so anyway, that's that's where I became aware of it, but I don't think that it ever interested me uh as a child and then it was one of those things where it's just it hadn't happened and so i was really glad that it was going to happen because i uh i really enjoy movies about you know like con jobs and stuff Mm -hmm. like that i I, I'll, i'll talk about this a little bit more when i go into kind of what i'm like where i'm thinking for you know bringing this back but it's it's one of those Things where it's a lot of fun for me because, you know, the excitement of like who's on whose side and how are they tricking this person? And as an audience member, what am I supposed to be looking out for to see what's going on? And also just like getting lost in the movie magic of somebody cheating at cards and winning, where it's just like, well, it's a movie. Clearly, we don't have to know exactly how he switched (laughs) the threes to jacks, but he did. And uh, you just have to lose yourself in the idea that uh, there's cards up his sleeve or something like that. Like, I don't know. Uh, Just the whole idea. And this is, you know, I talking about uh, Gondorf. I think the whole idea is that this guy always knows more than he's letting on and you know like he lives in the back room of this 
like yeah. amusement, this like um, indoor merry-go-round slash brothel uh, that's yeah. being run by, by Eileen Brennan, uh, who's uh, wonderful. And she's great. She is, uh, and and he's just kind of you know he's like always hungover and he's so unassuming and you look at him and you realize that like oh he could be like Lonigan if he wanted to right like he could walk around because like when he puts on the tux and slicks back his hair and like clean polished and you're like yeah. that is a fucking star right there yeah Totally. You're like, and you know what? He's got the talent. He's got the skills. Like he knows what to do. It's not like when it's not like when they start talking about, uh, you know, taking Lonigan, uh, that there's like <laughs> that there's there's not a whole lot of like planning and a whole lot of like ah, how are we going? What are we going to do? And he's got they they get right on they get on the phone right away and they get their yeah. team together and that like that's always fun. I, I love, think that's something you I love and I, a good assembling a team. We yeah. I think we both really really love that and I think that other movies where the team is assembled that came after this and I can't think of any before it but uh you know I do think like Ocean's Eleven kind of you know it, it, of course it, you know there's a little homage or a little like yes that's how you do it well uh, maybe the original Ocean's Eleven what year did that come out <laughs> oh yeah before this but I also yeah. don't remember if there was a whole like getting the team together right yeah. No, I, I think that that's, I, I mean, I think of MacGruber. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they're all wrestlers. I love it. Yeah. But uh, aside from that, yeah, you definitely think about the, the Oceans movies. And um, I, I think that that's where it's, a, it's also done in a really fun way where it's like, uh, what I appreciate about the Oceans movies is that a lot of the times it's like done over like voiceover or like it's kind of you hear the narration from a conversation where it's just like, oh, I know the perfect guy for this. And then you cut to like, you know, Scott Kahn. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, That's always what happens in my mind after someone tells me they have the perfect guy for something. You see Scott Kahn in your mind. I have sometimes said it out loud. I was like, cut to Scott Kahn. Scott Kahn and Casey Affleck getting into some shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that it's, um, it's a really fun trope that I really enjoy. Yeah. I, you know, seeing the people, uh, playing to their, their, you know, skills and everything. Um, I loved the scene where they, you know, convince that guy that they're coming to paint the office to take over his office so they can, you know, intercept a phone call and do this right. and that and da 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 and like do set up this whole thing and you know just love seeing like a plan coming together uh, and the people that are kind of tricked in the in the works and whenever, uh, yeah it's fun. whenever they whenever the movie can make you say oh how are they gonna pull this off and then you watch it happen and you're like ah, okay and and it makes sense and you're like yes I buy that and like you said yeah. it requires there's a little suspension there's a little like okay. I have to let a, f a couple of things go, but uh, I mean, honestly, and kind of coming back to to this was certainly not been my first time seeing this movie. It's been yeah. one of my favorites for for a long time. I I owned it on VHS 
back in the day, not taped off TV, mind you. And this, uh-huh. I, I, I don't even deal. think I stooped to buy a previously viewed copy because I don't think there were any. Uh, it wasn't like they were sitting there next to like, you know, 20 copies of, of Home Alone 2. Uh, Which I watched the other day, Tis the Season, and I laughed my ass off. Oh, like, okay. Alone in my house, just laughing up a storm, loving every moment of it. Home Alone Two, Lost in New York. Check it out. Okay, yeah, no, little little <laughs> film, not a not a lot. Sticky of people bandits. Heard of. You know, it, also not on the list. Brenda by the Fricker. Way. Also not on the list. Hmm. Um, okay. So so uh, but the Sting has been a movie that I realized, especially I made note of this time around watching it, that I don't know that I always. Got it completely. I knew that I enjoyed what was happening. Yeah. And there were some things like the scene when, uh, you know, the card game on the train when Newman acts drunk and, you know, totally takes Lonigan and, you know, they, they run it. It's so much fun that, that sequence. Um, so you got that and you kind of got the basic gist, or at least I, I did. And, Watching it now, there were so many things that I don't think I had picked up on before. Um, okay. And it, and it's something that is so wonderful in the script is it it's how the stakes are set up so highly for everyone, and that like that new that Gondorf had conned what was it, a senator, right? Or a con- yeah. Or a con- and like the, and that was a federal crime. So now yeah. it was like the FBI was after him. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in there. I, and I think Lonigan that, Sorry, go on. I was going to say, it starts off from the jump because the very first thing that you see is this con that happens. It just, just seems like a very standard everyday grift, but it turns out that they grifted this guy who was couriering money for Lonigan or something, and so that the fact that they got him turned Lonigan on to them, which made him kill Luther and... That's what set everything off. And so then that's what turns it into a, a story of revenge. And there's, it's just like, there's so much going on right from the very beginning. And it's one of those situations where like, it doesn't matter if you've picked up on everything that's going on. All that you know is like, oh, Luther got killed because of this guy Lonigan and he wants revenge. Like, right. even if you don't pick up on exactly how everybody was involved, then it it doesn't really matter, but it it. Is no, it's it's still fun. Better. Yeah, it's, it's still, still fun, fun. But yeah, but it, it it's and it's. I think that's the experience of of watching it at different, uh, not just multiple times, but at different points in your life. Yeah. Um, like they make the point of that Lonigan, um, you know, doesn't want to. Uh, he doesn't want to risk like losing his his territory and having somebody else because, uh, I I can't remember exactly how it was set up. But it was set up for Lonigan that like he like that was why he was going to Chicago, I think. Um mm. and I feel like like they even they set up stakes for him. He's the bad guy. Um and they yeah. set up stakes for Hooker with the uh the cop we haven't talked about, Charles Durning. Yeah. Uh who's who's after Hooker, I guess, just for, for like being a con man. Yeah. Um and it all, uh, you know, it all kind of, you know, dovetails together at the end. No, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I'm i glad that I saw it for the first time as an adult. I don't know if I would have appreciated it as much as a kid, uh, as much as I enjoyed hearing 
do 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 um, with a lot of wrong notes, and then uh, and then our mom yelling wrong note from the other room whenever uh, Scott would hit the wrong note, and yeah, so that that's my experience, and and I'm glad that I you know did see it now when I'm you know. 39 and, and I uh, can really experience it, it very fully. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I can, I can see it and think about uh, them assembling the team and Scott Kahn coming in. <laughs> I, I want to do like a, I want to do like um, just the, the opening credits, which I love the opening credits for this. I don't, Oh yeah. It, very few movies can pull off the opening credits where you show a clip of a scene from later on with that actor. Like, it's the beginning of a sitcom. And, it's like, so I love it the one with, like, Harold Gould where he's, like, raising his eyebrows. And, yeah. uh, he, um, <laughs> like, I want to just cut Scott Kahn into that. <laughs> <laughs> and featuring Just a scene Scott from Kahn. Ocean's 12. Yeah, he's like Scott Con wearing like you know a, a a catering tux and like looking up at the camera and winking. Yeah, <laughs> like from a cart, he's like putting something under a cart and. But but you know it's also funny because you know we're talking we're talking a lot about the Ocean's movies which star George Clooney and Brad Pitt you know the Paul Newman and Robert Redford you know yeah. next generation and uh, and it, but it's like it makes sense like to have these you know, talented, handsome men uh, starring in these movies where, where it's, you know, you just want to take people along on a journey and you get just like lost in the in the fun of it. That's what those that's what those actors are for. And not to say that they haven't done other things that have been, you know, fantastic in their own right. But when they're able to uh, do these movies where they're, you know, it's you're meant to just kind of get lost in the the fun of their characters to have these yeah. actors be able to kind of just give a little bit of their own personalities into it uh, is a lot of fun. I think it also helps, especially like with the sting that they come into it with a pre-existing chemistry, you know, yeah. like it's, they're a proven commodity as a team and it, it's right. I, I don't want to say it's unfortunate that it's kind of unfortunate that they didn't do anything. I mean, like they both went on to do a lot of other great work independently. And I don't think that, you know, there was like a falling out. In fact, actually um, I had been reading that the 2015 film that Robert Redford starred in a walk in the woods. Mm -hmm. um, he originally wanted to do that with Paul Newman and oh, it, wow. based on a memoir Bill Bryson's memoir about walking the Appalachian Trail with this mm -hmm. kind of like old um, estranged friend of his who's kind of like, you know, in really bad shape. And it, it turned out that, you know, Nick Nolte ended up playing the role because Nolte and Redford had worked together and Nolte really fits that fit that role much better yeah. um, than Newman would have. But. Uh, you know, it's interesting to think like, you know, kind of what what would have been what what would have been a good third, you know, to round out the uh, the trilogy there. You know, it's kind of like wondering if we'll yeah. ever get another Schwarzenegger DeVito. It's, we're all wondering. I mean, like you gave us twins, you gave us junior. Let's round out the third, you know, come I, on, Jason Reitman, pick up the reins. You know, uh, I'd say. Danny DeVito has never been more popular. Uh, he is the kids a hit love him. With the I'm youth. not even the kidding. Kids love Danny DeVito. The adults love Danny DeVito. Uh, 
he's he's hotter than Arnold Schwarzenegger is. I dare say. No, abs, <laughs> abs. So no, Danny DeVito is yeah immensely popular, and for good reason. He's he's oh, really wonderful. Absolutely. Also, it's like Danny DeVito. You direct something and get get your buddy in there. Yeah, your old your old pal, your old twin. Um, yeah. So so Dan, I I'd love to know what in the world you would do with uh the sting if you had uh just gobs of money and <laughs> your only instructions were i don't know do something with the sting you got to make something all right well okay so th- there's already there's a musical the musical exists uh it it had been <laughs> Wrong note. Wrong note. <laughs> um, it, the musical was Broadway bound. It, it premiered at the Paper Mill Playhouse in Melbourne, New Jersey. And uh, it was done by the same people who did uh, oh, like the Drowsy Chaperone. Um, okay. Harry Connick Jr. playing Henry Gondorf. Um, which makes sense. That works in the musical, you know. Yeah. Musical world, totally. He was he performed out here in in Portland and probably also Seattle, uh, maybe a week ago. I saw his name on a marquee. Yeah, no, That's I mean, I'm hey, <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to argue with the talent of, of Harry Connick Jr. Uh, Iconic, if you will. Oh, very nice. So we've got. So I mean, what's what's my uh, what's my idea? I mean, look, they tried a sequel that didn't work. Uh, I I don't think a sequel would work at all. Uh, I think that there is some potential for a. You could do a prequel. You could tell a prequel story. I don't know that I would necessarily sell it as the prequel to the Sting, but I would certainly. I would consider like you know a character like Gondorf and um you know what was he doing twenty years earlier? You know, perhaps with Luther. Yeah, exactly. So you're setting up a Gondorf learning from Luther, maybe Gondorf learning from Luther. Yeah, perhaps. Um, uh, so I think I, you know, I think a prequel would be interesting. I just, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily. I would kind of just write it as an interesting story, and it's like, oh yes, these are characters from from the Sting. Um, but this is not, it, this is not like the movie. This is not Rogue One, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're, we're not going to end with Luther going off like, you know, yeah, I got to meet this kid on the East side named <laughs> Booker or something like that. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and, and, and Gondorf is like, hmm, I'm going to see if I can chat up this Senator playing blackjack over there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wink, wink. Um, so I would do a prequel. I would also potentially not do it as a film. I would potentially do it as a novel. Uh, oh, okay. And I think if if you wanted to continue the stories of Gondorf and Hooker, I do think that novels or perhaps graphic novels, because the, the movie is this movie is so visual and so beautiful. Like um, I I have it on Blu-ray and just love looking at it. So I think a graphic novel could really capture the spirit of the film and, um, and and the fun, you know, it's, it's also how many comic books are there just about, you know, grifters and 
con men in the in the Great Depression, and you know what happens to them during World War II. <laughs> what happens to the, you know? I like let's let's follow their their adventures, but I I don't think I would do it on uh, on screen. Yeah, so uh, Hooker is uh, sent off to fight in World War II and uh, ends up conning Hitler <laughs> into blowing his brains out in a bunker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the the putting together the team on that one. <laughs> Scott Kahn is there. <laughs> you can't have a con without Scott Kahn. I mean, according to uh, Adam Sandler's The Hanukkah Song, James Kahn is uh, is of the tribe. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, that is certainly a uh, an exploration that's fun to <laughs> that's a road that's fun to go down. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, you say a novel, I was thinking a series of more of like, if there's like an, a, a more adult, like choose your own adventure type of situation, I think that that would be a lot of fun. Um, I think that the aspect of this that we haven't really talked too much about is the, the questions that, that loom of just like, oh, is... Uh, hooker double crossing Gondor for vice versa, and this person that you know, hooker that, that works at the diner, you know, hooker is getting her on his side, but maybe she's on the other side, you know, like all of these things that come up. And I think that there's uh, a lot that could be mined there of for like you know, who to trust and 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 that kind of thing. And I was mm. thinking, like, um and maybe it's a role playing game like maybe it's some sort of like uh i want to say computer game but that makes me feel like i'm a thousand years old but it's like, like you know big it's like the game he's playing it's well i mean yes but also more current <laughs> at least in its graphics and stuff but yeah one of no. those uh, <laughs> no it's this it's just like 8 Same. bit yeah. Same. uh it's actually only 7 bit they just uh it's very it's just war games it's war games. It's yeah, it's text based. Yeah. So, would you uh, like th- to play a con? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I think that there's a, a lot that can be done there. It's just like you know, you know, you see, I, uh, I don't remember her name. The the woman who works at the diner. Loretta. You see her, Loretta. You see Loretta. Right. Uh, played by uh, Demetra Arliss, not with ex- not with dollar signs uh, spelling no. the name, but just with regular S's. I, uh, you know, John, I'm sorry. I have to interject, but you just reminded me because ironically <laughs> you mentioned Arliss and you're referencing, of course, uh, Arliss, the, the show, uh, with Robert well, Bull, but who, it's not TV. It's HBO. Oh, right. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Robert Wool plays the Charles Durning role in the musical in, at the paper. Does Playhouse. he really? Yes. <laughs> Oh, it all comes back to Arliss. All comes back to Arliss with the dollar <laughs> all signs. All roads lead to Arliss with the dollar signs. So, um, yeah, but anyway, it's like you see Loretta walking down the street. Uh, do you, like, embrace her and say hi to her? Or, like, you know, do you duck for cover because she's reaching for something in her handbag? Like, you know, there's, there's something like that where, um, you know, it's more about, like, reading the signs along the way of just like, Ooh, do I trust this person or not? Mm. And seeing where things go from there. Um, but I think that 
in some sort of uh, video game, like a role-playing video game. I think that that could be really fun. And also it's like, I, I'm, ooh, I'm blanking on what it was even called, but I remember there was this game that there was like a very noir type type of thing. And I know this is not noir, but like it was like a noir video game that took place in like in the thirties. And oh, it was yeah. more of like uh, red dead redemption or grand theft auto style. But uh, if this one was more of like a, a role playing type like of LA thing, noir, was that it? Or? I don't even remember, but whatever. Um, but it was, but it's like, I feel like that era plays really well, like, you know, in a video game form. And the fact that you don't have any of the the modern uh, technologies is, is what makes it, you know, even more interesting. And I don't know. I feel like those those games where it's like finding clues and kind of reading body language and stuff like that, mm. those play really well. And I don't know. I, I feel like this thing could could have a place in that. It could be fun. Who wouldn't want to be Robert Redford? Well, but also who's to say you are Robert Redford? What if you could choose to be kid twist? What if you could choose to be the eerie (laughs) kid? There you go. Yeah. I just want to be Ray Walston. uh, painting, painting an office. (laughs) I I love when he does that, when he's doing like the race, when he's calling the race from the back room and after he's 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 so good at it. Ah, yeah. Man, Ray Walston. I mean, like a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, not recently. Not recently. No, 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 no. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, no, I think that that's, I think that there's uh, some good stuff that can come of this. Um, it's not one of those where I think that it would absolutely, you know, ruin people's childhoods if there was something else that came of this. Uh, it's just one of those, I feel like it's a piece of media that just kind of like lives on in its own category where it's just like, yeah, it's the sting, you know, it's not the greatest movie ever made, but it's a really great movie. I mean, it won a lot of Academy Awards, um, rightfully so. Yeah. I think that, uh, it, it has its place in history, but it's not one where like, it's so beloved. It's not like a movie that's quoted all the time or anything. It's, you know, it's one where it, there's room for people to play with it. There is. Also, I think the fact that they made this sequel, The Sting 2, which David S. Ward, like, wrote and then really tried – he tried to, like, get his name taken off of it. And it was just a huge <laughs> uh, debacle and, you know, More I – like The Stink. I feel – oh, wow. Oh, was that the Post's headline? Um, yeah. I I I really I I really hoped to yeah, have made front page news. <laughs> I really hoped to have a chance to watch it. In fact, I considered watching that instead of watching The Sting. You know, yeah, because it's like, well, if I have time to watch one or the other, why don't I watch the one I haven't seen? If I, it was on a streaming platform that I already paid for, yes. I would have watched it. Yes, exactly. So. Uh, but, but, and I feel like I remember seeing it on TV, like in the eighties, like catching it on like, you know, the, the, you know, channel nine, you know, WWOR Sunday afternoon cinema, the sting Two, starring Jackie Gleason. So <laughs> like, I, and cause like, I feel like I have vague memories of seeing it and then being confused with the action, with the sting being like, wait a second, Jackie Gleason's not in this. And. <laughs> Not caring that much because yeah. I was a child. Uh, but Yeah, where's Hollywood heartthrob Jackie Gleason? 
<laughs> Who are these? Dopes? I want my money back. I thought Jackie, like I thought this was I. I really thought this was a Jackie Gleason franchise. Jackie Gleason is that his brand of underwear? Jack. Jack. <laughs> when I want the ultimate in comfort and support, I wear my Jackie Gleasons. <laughs> Take me to the moon. Uh, <laughs> uh, well. One of these days. Listeners, if you have your thoughts on The Sting or any other movie that we've covered on Ruined Childhoods, email us, ruinedchildhoodspot at gmail.com. Check out our link tree on in the episode's description. Dan, tell everybody what we're covering on our first episode of 2023. Well, of course, it's January. So uh, anyone who's familiar with us knows that in January, we have to cover a Michael Douglas thriller. Okay, so what happened was we did this unintentionally. We didn't realize that we were turning this into a thing until twenty January, the first episode of twenty twenty two, and Dan was like, "Did you realize that we the first of episode of every year has been a a a, a Michael Douglas uh, thriller?" Well, yeah, because I think that's when we did the the game and the game, yeah. uh, Basic Instinct. Basic, basic instinct. And so, um, you know, we're, we're, and we're not just narrowing it down to the Michael Jack, uh, Michael Jackson, Michael Douglas. <laughs> the next words are, would be even more just erotic thriller. Um, <laughs> even though basic instinct was definitely, uh, the, uh, Michael Douglas erotic thriller, perhaps the quintessential or perhaps the quintessential Michael Douglas erotic thriller is the movie we're going to be talking about 1987's Fatal Attraction. Yeah, I'm excited. Talk about uh, a my movie. copy. My copy at the library is waiting for me to oh, go pick it up. <laughs> By the way, and look, public libraries are awesome, no matter what. But um, I'm feeling a bit. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm a bit upset. I'm feeling a bit of envy here because uh, John, who's in Portland, Oregon. Uh, the Portland library system apparently has multiple copies of Fatal Attraction and also has it on Blu-ray, whereas right. the Seattle Public Library, DVD, and there's like two copies in the whole system. So hmm. anyhow, we'll talk more about Fatal Attraction. <laughs> that That's not even about the movie. That's just about the libraries anyway. Um, I, I'm looking forward to seeing it. It's been a while since I've seen it. And, uh, you know, it's January. It's, it's Michael Douglas. It's hot, steamy, and, um, it's going to be great. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, Dan, and to all of our listeners, happy new year. And Dan, as you are, uh, playing a game of cards on a train, I wish you a good journey. Good journey. Wrong note.